going to get uh, to talk about uh, those words from Micah chapter 6 verse 8 uh, today. Uh, my name is Brent Hinkle and uh, I am going to have the opportunity to share with you uh, not only today but for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, Pastor David is off on sabbatical. Um, there comes a time when pastors really need some refreshment and I haven't been a pastor myself for most of my adult life um, and worked with lots of pastors. I've seen and recognized this and experienced it myself. But I think during this time of COVID, it's really, really needed. A time to be able to get away and to refresh and recharge. And I believe that's going to happen with uh, Pastor David. So be in prayer for him as uh, he goes in and uh, takes some time for uh, some refreshment. Um, we're also going to be taking communion today. And so there are communion uh, cups that you can grab down at the end. We'll be doing that at the end of the sermon. So if you want to grab one now, if you don't have one, or maybe at the, uh, at the end of the sermon, you can grab one at that point as well. Um, I'm here today. Uh, I'm by myself. I believe the next couple of weeks uh, my spouse will have a chance to be with me. Uh, I have, except for one short time, have not seen her for two months um, because she has been walking on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, she started out uh, three summers ago in uh, just uh, north of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, today, an hour ago, she summited Mount Katahdin, which is the end of the trail, um, all the way up in northern Maine. And uh, so if you can imagine walking from Atlanta to northern Maine, that's a long way to go over mountains. And so um, I'm thankful that uh, she had a chance to uh, complete it. I didn't know what was going on the last three days because there's not a whole lot of cell service there. And so I was so uh, happy to get that call this morning to say that at that point she's almost done and now she's completed it. So I hope next week she'll have a chance to uh, uh, be here with us all. Uh, today as we gather and we begin to focus upon uh, this, this uh, passage in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, um, one of the things that I have noticed as I have had a chance to be here a number of times to hear David's preaching, sometimes I've uh, had opportunities to uh, pop in online and, and listen to see what's going on. Uh, one of the things that I so appreciate, not only as a pastor, but just as a Christian, as somebody who wants to get to know God's word better, um, is David's ability to take and utilize the context of the scripture. To be able to say, we can't just pull this one verse out and talk about this verse as if it didn't occur within the context of a story that was taking place. And so I have witnessed him doing that. I was here uh, a, a month or two ago when he was talking um, about, the, started off the sermon series on on uh, David, I believe it was, and he was uh, talking through uh, some of the issues, and he was giving the background and the context to that particular story. And I thought, that's exactly what people need, because we live in a world that loves to just simply grasp Bible verses and then use them as weapons. We weaponize those things completely out of context for what its meaning was because we have a point we want to make as if somehow we could throw a point out there. It's going to totally radically change somebody. It's not. It's going to simply try and we're simply trying to make ourselves feel better that somehow we won the argument. When in reality... We should be able to take God's word and say, he has something for us. 
What, what, is, what is the situation, what is the context in which he came and gave that word so we might better understand what he not only wanted to say to those people, but what he wants to say to us today in our context. And so if you happen to have your Bibles, please take them, turn to the book of Micah. Uh, Micah is kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. We start to get in a whole lot of prophets, and we talk about Ezekiel and Daniel and and Hosea and Amos, and and back in there you're going to find the book of Micah. Uh, And so Micah is going to come, and he's going to speak some words to us. Now, I want you to get the big picture of what we're going to be focusing upon when we begin to look at Micah chapter 6. And for the most part, we're going to be looking at one verse, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. In this verse, the Lord's going to say what is required of us. Now, I don't know about you, but as a follower of the Lord, as a follower of Jesus, I want to know those basic things that are required of me. Sometimes we make things so convoluted. Um, I, I, like I told you, I spent much of my time as, as a pastor. I, I pastored for a long time, for 15 years, on the west side of Tulsa. Uh, I, I pastored a number of other churches as interims, including this church I was a, a pastor of for about a year before David came um, as the uh, uh, official pastor here. Uh, for the last six years, I've been in Bristow, Oklahoma, as the pastor of a Church of God congregation there. But now I'm not. And so now I go to church, and it's a totally different experience. And I have to tell you, I don't know if this is just as a pastor or not, in some ways, I'm much more comfortable here than there. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. Um, But in many ways, when I come to church, one of the things I've recognized, I just want more simplicity. Sometimes I feel like, you know, we, we, as, we as pastors or, or we as leaders in churches want to, you know, give this, you know, multifaceted view of everything. And we're trying to incorporate all these different elements. But in many ways, this is a simple message. And when I think about a simple message, uh, the things I want to latch on to, I think of Jesus, for instance. Jesus, when he comes and he, he gives that great command to us, and as we think about some of the, the great commandment, Jesus comes, he says, I'm going to synthesize all this down for you. You have this whole Old Testament. Let's just get to the root of it. There's two things to be concerned about. Love the Lord your God with all of your, your mind, your heart, your soul, your being, every single part of yourself. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's, it's not that difficult. In many ways, it's simple. Jesus, once again, at the uh, end of his time here upon this earth, he gave a great commission and said, your task, your job's pretty simple. Go and make disciples. When you want to know, well, what should the church be about doing? That's it. Go and make disciples. Well, we could do this, and we could do this, and we could have this group, and we could have that group, and we could be, you know, do all these different things. And in the end, if you're doing those things and not making disciples, call yourself something different than the church because that's what you are. Sometimes we need to simply get simple. Micah helps us do that today in chapter 6 as he speaks the Lord's, Lord, the Lord's word to the people. And so as we uh, look at this word today, understand the Lord's going to come and he's going to want to say some really, really 
tough things to his people, the children of Israel. This is toward the end of the children of Israel's time in the Old Testament. They've had times when they come and they followed after the Lord and they were walking uh, really, really well with him. And then all of a sudden they got distracted. And they began to follow after other gods. And they began to, to do things that they enjoyed themselves. And they began to ignore what the Lord had for them. And so then they'd end up in a valley. And the Lord would call them back, and they would come back. And so they had this constant relationship that went up and down, up and down. And many of you know exactly what that's like. You've had a relationship where you've been really, really tight with the Lord. And then you've had some times when you've really, really been down. This is going to be one of those times when the children of Israel have gone off on their own and God is attempting to call them back. And here's the context of that all-important verse. This, in chapter 6, as we look at what is taking place here, is really a conversation, maybe kind of a formal way of talking about it. It is a disputation. It's a dispute. It's a kind of a formalized dispute that is happening between three primary parties. Keep that in mind. I'm going to try and give you a little bit of geographical uh, 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 memory for you as you look here. I want you to think about in this spot, I want you to see the Lord himself. For he is the initiator of this conversation or this disputation. And so here he is, and he wants to have a chance to speak his words. Over here, I want you to think of Micah. Micah is a prophet of the Lord. He has been called by God to speak his words to the people. And then obviously the third party wants you to think of right here. These are the people. These are the children of Israel. These are the ones that have had the relationship that has been up and down and up and down over time with the Lord. And so really in Micah chapter 6, we have a conversation taking place between these three groups. And the conversation is going to go a little bit like this, and we're going to take it kind of verse by verse. And it starts out with the Lord speaking to Micah. He's got something he wants to say about these people, but he wants to make sure that Micah not only understands what he's going to say, he wants to make sure that these words go out to everybody and even everything. Because one of the things that is important in kind of a, 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 the, the, some of the legalities we see in the Old Testament in particular is there is a formal process of bringing in witnesses. And so there's going to be some witnesses that get brought in to kind of be the folks that are around, or I should say maybe the things that are around. Let's start off, Micah chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord says to Micah, Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. And so Micah's sitting here listening, and think about if you're the prophet and the Lord says that to you. Okay, what am I supposed to do? I'm, how do I plead a case before the mountains? How do, I, how, do I, how do I speak to the hills and have them hear what I have to say? I mean, that's kind of a tough order and a tough task. 
But Micah takes and understands there's kind of this judicial drama going on. And so now he is able to, to listen to what the Lord had to say, and then Micah comes up and he speaks. And he literally is not speaking to the Lord. He's not speaking to the people at this point. He is speaking to the mountains and the hills when he says in verse 2, Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. Now, I'm just here to say, if he's supposed to be bringing in the mountains and the hills to listen to this charge, this argument he has against the children of Israel, this must be a pretty big deal. This must be a really, really big issue to the Lord if he's going to call mountains and hills to come in and hear what the Lord has to say. And then once again, we see the Lord take over with this particular accusation that he has. Now, as we begin to hear the words of the Lord come forward, uh, implicit in this, once you understand, and we would pick this up if we were to read the first five chapters of Micah, is the very fact that the people have chosen to ignore God. They've chosen to go their own way. Yeah, they had times when they were riding high with him. They had times when they were listening and following his precepts. But then they began to look and decided, hey, I'm going to follow these idols over here. Or they began to believe in things like their own wealth. They thought they could, in the parlance of today, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And they even ignored the mighty works of what God had done among them. And so as we begin to get to that next verse in verse 3 through 5, here's what the Lord has to say. Now, obviously in this story, Micah's going to be the one speaking it, but these are the actual words of the Lord. And so the Lord now says to his people, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered? Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. In essence, God is saying, Remember all that stuff I did for you? Do you remember when you were in slavery in Egypt? And, and I went in and called Moses and he brought you out? He brought you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey? And even though you kicked against me and you were a stiff-necked people, still I was faithful to you. One of the songs that we sang today talked about God has always been faithful to us. And so here in this disputation is the Lord making this accusation, bringing these remarks against the people. Now it's interesting, when we move to the people's response, that the people don't dispute any of God's accusations. Their, their response is an acceptance of what's taking place because they know it's true. 
They've forgotten his wondrous works for them. They've chased after other things and other gods. And so now the people come, and at first glance, you might think this is a pretty appropriate response. God's not going to think so, but the people think so. And as we begin to look, this is kind of like we do sometimes when the people begin to speak. You're going to see them move from like, hey, I'm willing to offer this, but if that's not good enough for you, Lord, I'm going to offer this. And if that's not good enough, I'm going to offer you one more thing. Listen to what the people have to say as they speak to the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So the people are coming and they're saying, we recognize what we've done. And so now we'd like to come and bring you offerings. These are things that we have that we would like to give to you, as it says there at the end so poetically, the fruit of my body, whether it's the literal fruit that I help to produce or in the last thing they said, even my own children, I'm willing to offer that as a sacrifice for the sin of my soul. And you might stop and think, wow, they're willing to bring some sacrifices for their sins. I mean, if you know anything about the Old Testament, there's a lot of that going on. And you might think, well, they're, 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 on, the, they're on the right pathway. But the Lord is looking and seeing what is taking place in their minds. It's almost as if there's a kind of bribery that's going on. Yeah, we know we've gone our own way. If we come and give you this stuff, Will it be okay? Will, will, will everything be all right if we just come and give you some of our things? And this, then, finally, is Micah's words. The words that if you've been around the church very long, you probably have heard at one point or another. Micah, as he is speaking forth what the Lord wants him to say, he's not interested in any of their bribery or any thing that they might have to give to God. Because Micah knows God wants something far more valuable than that. Micah says to the people, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. As we think about these words of scriptures, would you bow your head just a moment? Heavenly Father, the scripture today is your word. And Lord, we know that you gave it into a particular context about you wanting to bring this dispute against your people. But Lord, if we're honest, we know these words could be brought to us today too. Because in many ways, for me and others here, you have the same kind of dispute with us. Lord, open our minds and open our hearts to your words. 
Help us to be people who take and apply them and are changed by them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, just for a moment, just think about those three things that the Lord requires of us. To act justly. Another phraseology of that is to do justice. To love mercy. Not just be merciful, but to love being merciful. And to walk humbly with our God. Those are the three requirements. You, you, you need to start to make those a part of, of, of your mindset when you think, what does it mean to be a follower of the Lord Almighty? It means those three things. To do justice. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with our God. Now the issue is, and if we're going to do that, there has to be a total radical mind and lifestyle change for everybody. And so what does the Lord really want from his people? Does he want additional offerings? No. Those are simply should be a response to what he's done for us. Not a bribe to somehow make, it, make us good before him. What he wants from us is a life that is changed completely from what it was before. I didn't plan on saying this, but I think one of the biggest problems in the church today, and I'm part of the church, so it's in Brent too, is that very few of us can look back over the last, let's just say, few years. Say you've been in the church a long time. Over the last few years, have you made a significant change in becoming more like Jesus? And if the answer is no, why not? I mean, I mean, haven't you begun to learn more about what he wants from us? Has, hasn't the Holy Spirit been at work showing you some things that, that you need to do and change? If you can say, well, I'm just like I was 20 years ago, that's a problem, church. Because the Lord requires that we not stay the way we were but we are becoming changed and transformed into the person that Jesus is. We need to become more and more like him. Now, Micah is telling that to the people that there has to be this kind of life change. The problem is, from the day you were born until the day you die, that fleshly part of you is concerned about one thing. You. I mean, think about it. Think, think about those cute, wonderful, awesome babies. I mean, it, it, think about holding a, a wonderful baby in your arms. You know what that baby is concerned about? Him or herself. That baby's not concerned about you. That baby is concerned about having their stomach filled. That baby is concerned about comfort. That baby is concerned about a whole bunch of things that don't have to do with you. And we keep that same mindset when we begin to grow older. 
It's the same way with children. It's the same way with adults, especially that fleshly part of us. We become consumed with ourselves. And in the end, God says, that's not who I am, and that's not who you are called to be. And so when we begin to the look at kind of the big picture of this, of this uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, where it talks about what does the Lord require of us, each one of those things is about not focusing upon yourself, but focusing upon the other. That needs to be the monumental change that happens in us. There really, in the end, is no such thing as a selfish Christian. If you're in it for yourself, you're not where God wants you to be. If you're in it, I'll even go so far to say this, if you're in it just to make it to heaven, you're not where God wants you to be. For he wants you to be one who pours out and gives your life so that others might be filled. You know, when I, when I think about this kind of, of monumental accusation that God has against us and then these monumental requirements that he has for us, I begin to think about what we're called to be, the kind of people we're supposed to become. There, there was a movement, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago now, that was, anyone heard, heard of people going around saying, I am second? Okay, there was a lot of stuff about I, I am second, and I agree with the kind of the foundations of that. I would just change that if I was gonna do it today and say, no, 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 I am third. Because that's where it should be. Because we are called to be the kind of people who obviously put God first. But we're also called to be the kind of people who put others even before ourselves. When the Apostle Paul was thinking about Jesus and the kind of person that he was, he, he quoted from a hymn that the church used to sing. We have no idea what the music was, but from a, a hymn the church used to sing a long, long time ago. It's recorded in Philippians chapter 2. And right before he gets to uh, telling us about that particular hymn, the Apostle Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 3. He's speaking to the Philippian church and says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. You know, that's not the American way. It's, 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 not, it's not what we often think about. Don't we think about, no, I need to value myself, and if I value myself in a way, maybe that will then flow over to, to, to others and be a blessing to them, and we kind of hope that happens, but I gotta value myself and uplift myself. Paul says that's not the way of a follower of Jesus because it wasn't the way of Jesus. He didn't value himself above others. In the end, I think Paul is right. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, once again, you've got to dispute. I, I'm, I didn't say that. You know, this is the words of the Lord that come through. We're to look to the interests 
of the others. It's not easy to do. Sometimes some people make it really hard and difficult to do that. Let's be honest. You know, we can think about that person, you know, maybe you're just in love with your spouse and they're so wonderful and so it's easy to do that for them. But then you have that other person in your life. And it's really tough to take those words and say, I'm going to value them even more than myself. Ultimately, I think it's the call of us, even when it's hard. And right now, as we begin to, to, to think about the, the, that hardship, I want you to think about that one person. Who's that person who's just kind of difficult in your life? Uh, for me, I, I, I went to, to school out on, the, out on the East Coast and you know, went to a really good college and I graduated from there and I, I went to uh, uh, teach in uh, a really high-class high school in a place called Scarsdale, New York. Um, at that moment in time, Scarsdale was the richest suburb in the United States. I can still remember my first parent-teacher conference. <laughs> Uh, I'd went through and had, you know, two big time, you know, multi, multi millionaires coming and sitting at my desk and having to tell them that, you know, that their sophomore uh, was failing uh, geography at that particular time. It was, you know, it was like one of those things here. I, I'm like, I'm like this feeling like this peon in front of these really, really power players. Uh, at one time I remember the, uh, because a lot of the people at the United Nations live in Scarsdale, and so I had a lot of UN ambassadors, and uh, the ambassador from Kenya uh, came in, you know, took the, the, that seat in my classroom across from me, and uh, I remember having to talk about his daughter and some of the struggles she was having, and, and uh, I felt led to be able to say, but I don't think her grades are the biggest issue. She said that she never sees you or your wife. She has a nanny that she hangs out with, but she's come to my office many times saying she just wishes she could have some of your time. I remember I was so nervous as I was saying this. How is this you know, power man going to respond? Needless to say, he responded well, and things did happen to get better. I, I say that to say I was in a position to be able to talk to some kind of big wig people, at least according to our world. The Lord, and I kind of always knew this was going to happen, uh, the, the Lord called me into ministry. And so we were going to a, uh, a church, and I couldn't live in Scarsdale. I was a teacher. I had no chance to live there. <laughs> I went down to the uh, uh, real estate office when I got the job. I was so excited. I was like, I want to find an apartment in Scarsdale. And the lady laughed at me. And she said, you'll be lucky to live in within 30 minutes of here. And so I ended up having to move 45 minutes away just to find a place I could afford. Um, and it was in a poorer community. And then we went to church in even a poorer community, which was called Norwalk, Connecticut. And we started going to a Nazarene church there and attending while I was teaching. And I got called to the ministry. And he said, Brent, why don't you, why don't you come on staff with us? And I said, man, that would be awesome. I love this church. It's a church of about 100 people. And, and uh, uh, they, they said, you know, you can work with children. You can become a children's minister. And you can do some outreach with food. And I was like, that's awesome. And we can't pay you, 
but you can live in this room, you and Kathy, uh, in this room that's off to the side of the pastor's house, and, and, uh, and if you start a food program, you can eat whatever you want from the food program. I thought, wow, this is, uh, this is something. Um, so we decided to do it. We, 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 we took it on, and uh, I started, my main task was to start an after-school program for elementary school kids. And the kids began to come in, you know, wasn't a whole lot of them, at probably 12 or 13, started coming each day to the after-school program. Uh, one of them was named Rupi. Uh, and Rupi was a tough kid. And there, there, were, there were times, the first few days, I didn't really want Rupi around. But in time, he began to really warm up to me. And I thought, man, this is, we're making a difference here. This is, this, this, this is wondrous. And then one day, Rupi just lost it, like lost it there in this, you know, dank basement in, in this little church in Nor- Norwalk, Connecticut, and he starts screaming, flipping over tables, all this. And so I yell at him to tell him to get outside. Um, I, needless to say, I'm, and I probably shouldn't have been doing this, I was like the only person there uh, teaching them. So I got to leave the other kids there to go outside and deal with Rupee. I'm irritated and mad and upset. And so finally I get out there, I yell at him a little bit, tell him to get back inside, straighten up. And he decides he's going to take off and go home. Well, it's about 6 o'clock at this particular time. It's starting to get dark because it's winter. And Rupee simply takes off down the street. And it's a bad area of town. And so now I'm madder than a hornet because i got to go chase after this kid thinking about those, those other kids I left. And so I go, and here I am, and he's down the block. I can kind of see him. It's, it's kind of dusky. And then I hear something whiz past my head. And then I hear something else whiz past my head and hits something behind me. And I recognize he's throwing rocks at me that I can't see coming. And so there happened to be, you know, one of those old school metal trash cans that was right there with a lid on it. And so I'd become gladiator. (laughs) I'd pick up the lid. I think there was one time that actually the lid stopped a rock from coming. And I'm chasing after Rupee. Rupee's probably about 10 years old. And so I'm running after him knowing I can't let him just get away and, and take off. And eventually I chase Rupee down. And he's sitting there, and he's still yelling and cussing and everything else. And I just said, Rupee, what is going on? And he broke down and told me about some abuse that was going on at his house. And he said, Mr. Brent... I'm so sorry I got so upset. But I'm just angry. And at that moment he came and he gave me the biggest hug you could ever imagine. Now when I think about working with Rupi, I think about some of the other things I could have done or continued to do. 
you know, work in the prestigious high school or, you know, I've got an Ivy League degree. I could have went to, you know, to some, some place in New York or something and worked and people would have thought that was prestigious. But at that moment, I became very thankful that I was working in a dank basement in Norwalk, Connecticut with some really, really underprivileged kids like Rupee. As I think about that, it began to speak to me to say, Brent, that's the kind of calling I'm talking about for my people. That they're willing to make a change and go where I call them to go. Be the kind of people I call them to be. To find things of injustice and bring about justice. When we think about Micah chapter 6, 8, and I think about Rupi himself, Rupi needed some justice. No kid should grow up in a situation like that. He needed somebody to stand with him for some justice. Rupi and all the Rupees like him needed some mercy. He needed someone to look past his temper because he had a temper and he had a temper after that for a while too. But sometimes we need to be people who are willing to give mercy. And those difficult people that you know and that you're thinking about, they also need people in their lives who are willing to walk humbly with God and saying, I'll do whatever it takes to see you benefited to see a change come into your life. You know, that's the calling of God upon us, is that we be that kind of people. It's not that different from Jesus, if you think about it. Jesus was one who would seek justice. He did it upon Calvary's cross. He saw us in a horrendous situation and said, I'm not content to allow that to take place, but there's justice that needs to be done. There's sin that needs to be atoned for, and I'm willing to become that atonement. And I'm going to do that. Not only will I fulfill this issue of justice, I'm going to do that by providing mercy. Mercy to people like you who don't really deserve it. But yet Jesus has been merciful and gave himself for us. The Apostle Paul in that very same passage, I told you about that hymn that was written there. The words of the hymn go like this. And just before it, Paul says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And here's the hymn who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today we talked about taking communion. 
And as we think about what communion represents, it represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for us. It represents his body that was given for us. And so as you think about these particular elements, we, we take them and lots of times we think about different ways to, to do this time of communion. And I think that's good because it is multifaceted. But in the end, the simple message is that this represents the Son of God who fully gave himself for you and for me. Number one, be thankful. Number two, to recognize his calling is your calling. You're called to give yourselves for the others. In just a moment, we're going to begin to sing and have a response. You'll be free to take the elements as at the time you choose and how you choose. But as we gather here today, I want you to think about two things. Think about Jesus who gave everything up for you. And I want you to think about that other person. That other person that God is putting on your mind and saying to you, now you go and pour yourselves out for that one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come. Lord, we come before you knowing that you have a dispute with us. Because in many ways, we've gone our own ways. We've focused upon ourselves. We truly haven't been like your son. And so, Lord, we acknowledge our sin before you. But we don't come giving you offerings or those kinds of things, Lord. We come. We want to give you ourselves. Ask you to change us. Help us to be people who seek justice and to love mercy and who become more and more like your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that that will happen, not only today, but in the next few days as well, as we put these words into action. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.